Good morning and happy baptism of the Lord, everybody. Uh, Today, the church commemorates this really bizarre, super mysterious, but very, very sacred and special moment in which Jesus of Nazareth. Now, don't, for a second, time out. Don't put this in the category of like old, ancient, uh, kind of religious truths. Put this in the category of like your Twitter feed, news feed, real historic events that happened in real life. Okay? Let me start again. Today we commemorate the baptism of Jesus of Nazareth in the Jordan River by the Holy Spirit with the voice of the Father anointing him saying, this is the one. I'm well pleased. This happened. And today the church around the world celebrates this almost unimaginable moment where in one glimpse we see the Holy Trinity at work. And in one glimpse we know that because of Jesus we too can share in that salvation. That briefly this morning, I want to look at the sacrament of baptism. Every time we have baptisms, it's some of the most interesting conversations that I have with people about really anything you can think of. Like, how is it that we baptize babies? And what if a jerk baptizes me? Does it count? And what if later I want to be baptized again? Or all really super interesting questions that lead us kind of like inroads into the mystery of sacred baptism. I want to spend some time contemplating with you What is baptism, actually? And I want to start by looking at our reading in Luke 3 and just kind of unpacking this a little bit, where we see John the Baptist um, saying that the Christ, God's promised rescuer, in verse 16, will baptize you by the Holy Spirit and with fire. That is to say, baptism will immerse you into the life of God. And like fire, it will remove all sinful and wicked things in us. It will cleanse us. Then Luke goes on rather abruptly, if you can read Luke in this story. It's kind of like one thing to another. In verse 21, this is what it said. When Jesus had also been baptized and was praying, the heavens were opened. And the Holy Spirit descended on him in bodily form like a dove. Remember, really historic events this this happened and a voice came from heaven i hear james earl jones here i don't know what you hear <laughs> you are my beloved son with you i am well pleased now if jesus was the christ if he was god's son the rescuer why was he baptized he had no sin to be cleansed right Of course not. He was standing in solidarity with the crowds who were also out in the wilderness witnessing John the Baptist's announcement of the one who was to come. You would find Jesus in the crowd of sinners. And he, being baptized, identified with them. Even though he had no reason to, he did. And in doing so, Jesus opens up to that crowd of sinners. And if you count yourself as one of those as well, this applies to you. Jesus opens up a doorway into the cleansing life that we have in God. The heavens are opened up and the Spirit descends in the form of a dove. We remember earlier in Luke chapter 4, when Jesus was standing in the synagogue reading the scroll from Isaiah 61... And you remember what he said at the beginning of his ministry? The Spirit of the Lord is upon me. And now we have him here standing in the Jordan, seeing the Spirit of the Lord upon him. Because he has anointed me. 
and you have seen, uh, you hear the voice of the Father anointing him and authorizing him as God's Son, in whom he's well pleased. And this Spirit's action, the Father's action, it sets off Jesus' mission as the one through whom God will set all things right and through whom God will reconcile all things to himself. I know this is a lot to take in, but this is what God's doing. Isn't this amazing? This is why baptism is such good news. Because we need somebody to come and set things right, not only in us, but in this world. And we desperately need someone to reconcile all things to God. And his goodness, and his mercy, and his love, and his beauty, and his truth. That's what we're being reconciled to. And Jesus is authenticated by his own father's voice. Bringing redemption for all who would follow him into those waters. Now when I was a little boy, I was a teenager, I had the opportunity to travel with my family to Israel. And we went to the Jordan River. And it was like dirty and mucky looking and strange. But I remember being there just like it was yesterday. And I remember standing on the banks thinking, so this is it. This is it? This is where God incarnate entered into the womb of creation and redeems humanity? This is it? And then it began to occur to me, somehow in my infant baptism at some Methodist church in Oklahoma, those waters were involved with these waters? And for anyone who's ever been baptized, you are a participant in those murky waters in the Jordan. And for me, as I grew up, Having been baptized as a child, not even remembering that moment and asking my parents and those who are witnesses to it, hey, what was that about? What was that like? I've been asking that question ever since. What does it mean then to be immersed into God's life? To be cleansed of sin, to be part of his family? What, is it, what does that mean? That's never something we completely button up. So if you think like, well, you've got to get that figured out before you enter the waters, uh, you may never enter the waters. There's so a lifetime to ask God that question, what does it mean to be one of yours, baptized into those waters? For me, over the years, what helped unlock a lot of these questions of the mystery of baptism uh, was, had to do with other stories that were being hinted to in the Old Testament that we see in the Gospels and the baptism of Jesus, but there's so many things here, so many kind of inside jokes and, and background stories that are being hinted to in this one story, the thing that unlocked this for me was realizing there, there is not just one thing happening here. There is a whole cosmic history converging right here in the baptism of the Lord. Beginning to see those things and chase those leads and go into the Old Testament and say, what is this really about was actually key in unlocking this for me. First, can I just rattle off a few of these things that I think are pretty awesome? First, the Jordan. The Jordan River where Joshua... Do you remember? Led God's people into the saving land that God had promised his people. Do you remember that? They crossed the Jordan. That's the river in which the promise of God was fulfilled to his people. That promise of deliverance. We can talk all day about that, but here's another one. Second, as the Spirit descended on Jesus in the bodily form of a dove. Huh. Does this recall anything? Does this ring a bell? When God rescued Noah's family, what was the sign of that redemption being fulfilled? That dove. Huh. And in Genesis, if this wasn't enough, by the way, I'm not making this stuff up. The church has believed this throughout its history. 
all the early church fathers saw this and write prolifically about all of these connections. And in Genesis, when the spirit of the love, quote, uh, spirit of the Lord, quote, hovered over the waters of creation, here again in the baptism of the Lord, you see the spirit of God in the form of a dove hovering over the waters. There is a new creation underway in Jesus. And the Exodus, lest we forget that, where Moses led God's people out of bondage through what? Waters of the Red Sea. Freeing them from their captivity in Egypt, even drowning those enemies of God that would hunt down and destroy them. God washes all of that away and they are delivered into the wilderness. Now you can see, I mean, honestly, just how brilliant scripture is in the way that it tells stories. It's not one dimensional. It is always depth upon depth available for us. You can see these stories playing out all of these stories playing out in the background of the Jordan story with Jesus and his baptism. You can see why the church then for ages upon ages, since the beginning, really, has baptized the most vulnerable. People who maybe at the time of birth couldn't really understand what was going on. How many babies do you think were carried across the Red Sea? And then grew up later and said, I wasn't carried across the Red Sea. And then their mom said, yeah, you were. You were in my hands. Well, what does that mean? Well, that's for us to figure out, isn't it? You can see how these stories start to color and fill in this understanding that the church has had of the mystery of baptism, importing revelation and meaning and depth. As if all these stories were converging in one person, in one moment, in one scene, God's Son, Jesus Christ, in whom he is well pleased. Another way of saying Everything that God has been doing up until this point throughout history to save his people. Yeah, this is it. And I'm so pleased with this person, Jesus. He is the new Noah. He is the new Moses. He is the new Joshua. Jesus, a derivative of Joshua, actually. Leading us through the waters of redemption, which unite us with what's to come in Jesus' life, his death and his resurrection. Look at Romans 6, 3 through 4. If understanding all of this was a prerequisite to baptism, how many of you would say, yeah, I was totally eligible for baptism when that happened to me? I wasn't. Not many of us, perhaps. Not that it's not good to understand. If you are an adult, you should understand this. And I'm telling you now. But even when we bring the most vulnerable, the smallest to the waters of baptism... We take on that understanding and say, this is the promise that God has promised to us, extended to us. Let's make sure this happens to all those who God has put in our care. And unpack with them year after year after year the mystery of this amazing story of God's deliverance of his people through baptism. Hmm. What we here have in the, this mystery of baptism is a God at work for our salvation, is really the headline. Not so much what we are doing to get involved with this thing, but a God who says, despite what you think, despite the ways that you've even worked against my ways, despite your ignorance, I'm actually going to work a wonder in your life. I'm going to shine a light on you, get a hold of you, and rescue you, despite you. In the church, we have one huge word for that, and it's grace. Baptism is grace. And you know what that makes it not? Your efforts, your work, your good theology. 
your exposition of the Old Testament. Those are all wonderful things, but those are not prerequisites to the grace of God. And baptism is that means of grace extended to us. It's that watery grave of our burial to sin. That tomb rolled away that we all share in in Easter. That's what baptism is. Adults should never volunteer themselves for such a gift. Um, adults should volunteer themselves for such a gift in baptism. We should leap up and say, yeah, I went in on this. Yes. But only as those who realize how vulnerable and blind they are without it. Only as those who realize how desperately they need God's saving help that they cannot save themselves, but they need some outside intervention from a God who is profoundly in love with them. And in the least of these, infants given into our care, like those who before the foundations of the world were laid, were predestined to be created. Those infants, like you and me even. Without their consent, were they created. Carried without even their knowing, perhaps, through the waters of the Red Sea. Loaded up, maybe, without understanding everything that was going on during Noah's Ark and the flood. And led out into the wilderness, into God's saving territory through the Jordan. Maybe even when they didn't have a full grasp of the situation. Baptism, nonetheless, is a gift. It's a work of God. Making a mark on all those who God calls into his family. And as these babies grow, and we uphold them in what's happening here this morning, in this promise to lead them in the way of Jesus as godparents and parents and the rest of this church will take up in a minute. We hope that they someday confirm their faith, faith and grow up and say, yeah, I do want to follow Jesus. I do understand the mark that has been placed on my life. I do know that God has called me out by name and said to you, beloved, that's who I am. We do hope those kids grow up and own it for themselves and praise God for this wonderful gift. That's, friends, the picture of baptism in the church and has been since the beginning. The headline here is that God is reconciling him, him to himself the whole world. And baptism is the good news that God is at work for our sake, for your sake. He always has been, in fact, and he always will be. Maybe this morning you're in a place where you might need a cold splash of water to the face to remember that God has always been at work for your good and always will be at work for your good. That he loves you. Maybe that cold splash of water in your face this morning that you need to hear and you need to feel is that you are God's beloved. And no matter what happens in this world, no matter how your life unfolds, God is still providentially overseeing your life with his grace and his mercy. And nothing is beyond his reach. Nothing is beyond his control. You are never beyond his reach. What is the word from the Lord that you need to hear this morning as you prepare to get some cold water splashed in your face? And trust me, that's happening. We, we throw it around because we all need to be reminded that we are indeed God's beloved and we have been adopted into his family. The God who baptizes you, friends, is the God who brings you home. That's what he does. He forgives and restores us. He brings you to feed at his table as his own child, his honored guest, and he gives to you a brand new life. That's what happens in baptism.
So then let us prepare our hearts, our imaginations to receive this gift given to us by the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit this morning. You're listening to Resurrection South Austin, a community of faith, learning to do life together in the goodness of God. For more information, you can find us online at resaustin.com.